Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel, and welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast where we're talking about making millionaires. How do you make money? How do you keep it? How do you invest it? How do you use a team? And every conversation in between, I bring you extraordinary people from around the globe and uh, that have uh, just done amazing things to contribute and uh, really up-level, especially in these times, uh, the conversation about money and uh, have a huge impact. Today, I have with me Peter Sage. Uh, we have been on WhatsApp for probably over a year, so I'm excited to have him, excited to, uh, for you to get to know him, my audience around the world to get to know him, and uh, let me introduce him properly. He's an award-winning serial entrepreneur. I love that. Um, I, we have, Peter, we have so many serial entrepreneurs. It's exciting. Author, master, trainer, international educator, philosopher, um, public speaker, and in the field of human behavior and personal development. Actually worked with the uh, the Tony Robbins Group, one of his top trainers for years and years, uh, started and founded and built over 20 companies, has shared knowledge with uh, Kofi Annan, Sir Richard Branson, Bill Clinton, and other great folks. His client list includes, ready for this, the royal family, uh, Google, NASA, and more. Um, he's actually in the Caribbean right now working on a, an investment deal and calling in from there. And uh, he's going to share a story, so stay tuned about his time in prison. So Peter, welcome to uh, Laurel's Real Money Talks. Laurel, what an absolute pleasure. We finally made it happen and I'm really thrilled that we did. I know, that's what persistence does and we both are. So tell our audience a little more about you. So did you kind of start in the Tony Robbins world and we only have a brief moment on our podcast, we might have to come back and do a version two because I know you're <laughs> share. Uh, well, I mean, one of the first things I want to say to people is, you know, I, I, I deframe the whole pedestal trap. I'm just a normal guy. You know, I dropped out of school at 16. Yeah, I couldn't spell MBA. Uh, I started my first business at 17. And, and really, the, the thing that's, that structured my life the most was that I walked a parallel path of entrepreneurship and personal growth. And I think in my 20s, most of it was certainly my early 20s was centered around trying to prove to the world I was good enough by covering up the insecurities as a young man that I wasn't. And so, yeah, it made me a millionaire early. I bought my first Ferrari at 25, flying Concorde, all that kind of stuff, miserable inside. And you know, I, I realized that I got to the top of Success Mountain and wanted to jump off because I didn't understand the difference between a life-chasing success and a life-chasing fulfillment. But mm -hmm. then the personal growth started to evolve and it really started to really drive my life from instead of a place of significance uh, and trying to prove myself and ego, it really started to align with the fact that every great successful person I saw uh, was being driven by growth and contribution. Uh, and that's, that was a big turning point in my life. So I'm just a normal guy. I've had a bit of experience in the business world for the last 30 years. I've been unemployable since I left school. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I just go what I do and try to share some of my mistakes to stop other people making them. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about, we're gonna get to some more of your history, but like we're in the most interesting times, right? The world's shut down. Um, I don't know that that's actually a data point that happened in any of our history. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the differences that you're seeing between the people who are succeeding, those that are failing in the current economy. And I think we all know this economy is going to stay volatile, which those of us that are doing deals, we love it, right? I mean, I'm having the greatest time. I love the volatility. I love 
the intenseness of it, uh, but that's also why some of us are successful. So talk about the differences. I, I think that there's a, there's a two groups of people right now because there are people that are being crushed by the current situation. I acknowledge that 100%, but there's also people absolutely crushing it. And so the difference is not economy. It's not you know, what your government are doing. It's, not, it's down to how do you relate to what's happening? You know, we know that if you take a mammal and it perceives what's going in the outer world as a threat, it loses 30% of its ability to function, its muscle strength. If you take a mammal and it perceives what's happening in the outer world as a challenge, it gains muscle strength, cognitive ability, and the ability to rise to that challenge. And so many people are being crushed right now because they forgot that this is what we're trained for, that we're, we're athletes in the gym of life. But we've been sucker punched into thinking that a comfort zone is where it's at. And if you identify with your body, then yeah, you, you're going to think that life is a comfort-centric experience because you've got a nervous system that's hardwired for comfort. It's very useful when you don't have to sit close to a fire or on an ant's nest. But our soul, what we're made of, who makes us us, you know, that, that you know, subjective level of non-physicality is driven by growth. And growth comes through challenge. You know, the strongest trees grow in the strongest winds, not the best soil. So... If you're an athlete, but you didn't know you're an athlete, you're going to complain at your personal trainer. What's this guy doing or girl doing trying to make me run until I'm sick yeah, or lift weights until my arms hurt? But if you know you're an athlete, you're born for the gold medal, you're going to be proud of lifting that last rep. If you're not thrown up in 30 minutes, you want your money back. So it's really the shift in mindset as what's going on in the outer world. You know, are you the athlete or are you the person looking to make excuses because you, you know, seduced yourself into thinking life is comfort-centric rather than growth-centric? And that's one of the biggest issues I'm seeing with people in terms of the fork in the road right now. Well, and I love the words that you brought in is uh, a lot of people are seeing this as a threat. So they're either you know, retreating. I've been calling it the COVID coma and they're staying in a coma, um, <clears throat> thinking this whole thing's going to pass and one day they're just going to you know, come out of hibernation and it's all going to have been fixed. And that's not what's going to happen. So what are some techniques, Peter, given maybe some specific actionable techniques? What can sure. they do to shift from that threat position, as you called it, to that being challenged and thriving position? Well, one of the first things to understand is that the defining characteristic of an entrepreneur, certainly in my opinion, I've been asked this for, for nearly three decades now, and everybody wants the one thing. There's not one thing. You know, life is an orchestra. It's not an instrument. But if I was to pick one thing that really defined entrepreneurs as opposed to other people, it would be the, the ability to handle uncertainty. And that's why you're seeing entrepreneurs like you and I right now, we're, we're, we're happy, we're, we're surfing in the, in, the, you know, in the volatility. We're happy to do that. We can live there. But if you've been trained to seek certainty, you are freaking out right now. And so when that happens, again, you have to shift position mentally. And I use contrast frames. Uh, contrast frames are a great tool. I'll give you a very simple example. Yeah, if, if you're going into work and your boss calls you in and says, hey, we've been really uh, happy with your work. We're going to give you a 10% pay rise. You walk out on Monday morning, surprised, thinking, wow, and you've been, you're, you're smiling all, all day. You go to the canteen at lunchtime, you sit next, you know, you're sitting Rachel next to you, who's doing the same job, and she's smiling too. You say, hey, Rachel, how's it going? She says, oh, I had a great time. Boss called me in today and gave me a surprise 20% pay rise. And now all of a sudden, you don't feel so good. I mean, you had nothing before, but now you only have 10%. See, the trick with contrast frames is to contrast it to something that makes you feel empowered, not disempowered. Yeah, if you're looking right now and says, oh, wow, I don't have a job. Yeah, but you have a home. Yeah, but you have family. Yes, but you have health. If you don't, you're looking for something. Yeah, when we get to the story about my latest challenge in one of the toughest prisons in, in the UK, 
I was giving out the book Man's Search for Meaning that I was having sent in, and I would challenge prisoners not to cry with tears of gratitude that they were in that jail and not Auschwitz. You see, what's wrong is always available, but so is what's right. And it's literally about asking better questions. Questions are the steering wheel of the mind. Yeah, if you know, they direct focus. And so are you asking, you know, why is this happening to me? Are you trying to control things you can't control and then get upset? Well, I mean, COVID aside, you know, the fastest way to unhappiness for most people is to try to get somebody else to be, do, act, or behave in the way that you want them to be, do, act, or behave. That's your fast track to unhappiness because you're trying to control something you cannot control. Now, you apply that to the current economy. What can you control? Yeah, what are the factors? And if you're resisting something that's already happened, you are on a fool's errand. If the milk is spilled on your new suit on the carpet, it's spilled. As soon as you can come to acceptance of that, you can free up the energy that you are putting into resisting what you can't change or control into asking a question, what is the next best move to deal with this? Mm -hmm. So now you're, now you're focused on a different outcome, asking better questions. I mean, there's just some of the quick tips I could give people right now to try to shake out of the funk. Brilliant. I'm thinking of uh, how many times I'm going to have you like, I'm just going to carry you around with me. And every time we do a big client session, I'm going to have, I'm going to say, I'm going to push the Peter button for just clarity. Brilliant, brilliantly said. So talk about some of the messages that people really do need to, to hear and listen to. I know you spoke a little bit to that, but uh, strengthen that conversation. I mean, there is a huge difference between biological maturity and emotional maturity. Biological maturity, we don't get to vote on. It's part of the rule set. I don't care how many creams you put on, how many vitamins you take, you're going to look different 50 years from now. Sorry. Right, it's part of the game. Emotional maturity is something we get to choose. And the challenge with that is that, you know, as you probably know, there's a lot of emotional teenagers running around in some very adult bodies. And so you know, when it comes to what is the keys to emotional maturity, that's really where I want to focus. Yeah, and one of the first things that people need to hear is that you need to come to a point of being okay, not being liked. That's such a big one for so many people because they run around in what I call goop, G-O-O-P. It's a nasty, sticky substance. Stands for the good opinion of other people. Yep, I love that. Yeah, and <laughs> and the best way to get out of goop is to really understand that we're all the star of our own movie. You know, we walk around. I I know that you're the star of your movie because you're the only one that's in every single scene of your movie. <sighs> right. Yeah, at best, that means everybody else, at best, you may have a handful of supporting cast. There's no co-stars. There's a handful of supporting cast, but the vast majority of people in your world are film extras in your movie. Now, what's the definition of a film extra? Simple, somebody you're not thinking about when they're no longer in your scene. So the challenge is because we see ourselves as a film extra, that's right, we see ourselves as the star of our movie, we think everybody else sees us as the star of our movie. But they don't because they're starring in a different movie their own movie, which means by definition, at best, we may be a supporting cast, spouse, best friend, husband, whatever. But the vast majority of people in your life that you're trying to manipulate or adapt your own behavior towards to get their approval, validation, significance, acceptance, are nothing more than you know, somebody who sees you as a film extra. In other words, one of the messages I want to give to empower people now to sort of stop wasting energy on that is to understand that most people don't care enough about you to bother to give an opinion. Why? They're too busy being worried about what they think you're thinking of them. Yeah. You know, we're all walking around this bubble of self-importance thinking, hey, look at me in my bubble of self-importance, not realizing everybody else is walking around in their bubble of self-importance thinking, look at me in that bubble of self. Yeah, it's a joke. 
So if you can finally become okay not being liked, it doesn't mean to say you don't have compassion, empathy, understanding, and don't want to be a nice person. That's, that's governed by your values. But if you're trying to adapt yourself as a chameleon to somebody else's approval strategies, you don't upset people, you try to fit in, you don't trigger a rejection response, you are never going to be the one thing that you need to be right now to empower other people, and that is authentic. Yeah. And people want to do business with authentic people. People want to hang around and be inspired by people who are authentic, not people that can be pushed or pulled or cajoled or go to pieces because of what somebody says on social media or anti-social media, as I call it these days. Yeah. You know? It's about having that sense of ownership. Walk your own truth. You're the star of your movie. And unfortunately, there's so many people now, Laurel, that are they're basically they've been recruited as unpaid film extras in the big budget Corona disaster movie. And it's yeah. not a good career move. Yeah. I'm sorry, not as an actor. You actually, you no actually need to do a whole social post about that. That's a great way to describe. Uh, yeah, and, and they're being paid and cast um, to do all sorts of things they normally would never do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll leave the fact they're being bribed with their own money, but for uh, for, for a different conversation. But yeah, that's even more true. Um, talk about that place of uncertainty, though. So you know, as people are listening to this and thinking, you know, they understand the physical maturity and. I think psychologically, most people understand emotional maturity. I don't believe they picked it, right? So they sit in this place of uncertainty. So how, how do you move more towards that place of, of choosing uh, emotional maturity? I mean, part of it's a journey. I think you and I have walked, you know, a lot of similar paths and similar journeys and been through the same, I'd say, processes of personal development to make those choices. A lot of people that are out here listening haven't. So how do they, how do they start walking that way um, and then cope with the uncertainty? Because that's a lot of our clients, like they'd rather stay in the comfort because it's known than the uncertainty of the unknown, even though they know, like they see it, they can see the pasture out here, but that's too scary to jump. And so many people. You, you, yeah. oh, uh, one of the areas you see that most is in narcissistic relationships. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you, you'll see, yeah, and unfortunately the it's stereotype, uh, gross generalization, but the predominance is usually women that are, yeah, uh, stay too long in an abusive relationship with, with a guy who feels that they can dominate or suppress or tell you you're not good enough. And, and the sad reality is, again, psychologically, most people would rather stay certain but unhappy rather than embrace uncertainty and go for fulfillment. Yes. And one of the biggest things is to ask yourself the question Einstein said, the most powerful question you could ever ask, do you live in a friendly or a hostile universe? Because there's an overarching belief system that is going to govern your entire lens through which you experience reality. So I believe I live in a friendly universe. It's conspiring for my favor. I'm a reverse paranoid. I believe the whole universe is involved in a secret hidden conspiracy to make me happy and successful. And that's the lessons I got. That's the lens I live through. Yeah, that's why you know, I, I mentioned earlier about, about the prison story. I know we're, I'm trying to try and get as much in for the time we can here, but I'll, I'll give you a, brave, a very brief uh, overview. I was arguing a business deal, a uh, you know, uh, multi-million dollar deal that I'd done years before with a, a multi-billion dollar company that I probably won't name you know, as Hewlett Packard. And yeah, the, um, uh, we were arguing a civil action and they issued a contempt of court application, which I thought was a chess move. I didn't give it much credibility. Um, and they sold it to the judge. I found out how the court system in England works. They, I, I, I got 50 staff. I said, I've just got to pop into court next week and get rid of this BS. I never came back. They sold it to the judge. He gave me six months in the most violent prison in England for contempt of court. Never yeah. been accused of a crime, never been arrested. You know, still don't have a criminal record. And yeah, you know, I lost everything. I lost my business. I lost my home. I had uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal debt, my credit rating, everything, my wedding. I mean, everything went in overnight. And I found myself in a place where if you've ever seen prison break, kind of the same deal. 
You know, three deaths in one week was the worst week I was there. Blood on the floor was daily, attempted murders weekly. Um, if it was a hotel, it wouldn't do well on TripAdvisor. <laughs> yeah. And so I, when it looked like it was going south, my then fiance turned around and said, kind of isn't going the way we thought. And I said, listen, we can't control what we can't control. If I go away, then you've got to look at it. I've, I've got to look at it in an empowering way. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I've been very blessed over the last 20 plus years. Millions of people around the world have benefited from my work. But maybe the people I could help the most never get to see it because they're in somewhere like jail. You know, if the universe or whatever you want to call it wants to send me in to hold a light, let me go. And I chose the identity that I didn't go in as a prisoner. I went as a secret agent of change. And long story short. You identified yourself going into prison like this. I was an undercover Jedi. Like how many minutes did you have like when you actually got to court? Because, you know, a lot of people are in contempt of court all over the world. So it's shocking that they just like, you know, took you off. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it, was, it, it was not expected, but at a bigger level, I think I had to go because of what happened. I mean, if I said to people, if I was defending myself rather than the state given attorney, I could, they only gave me because they froze my accounts. Yeah, I'd have, um, I'd have been okay. But then the universe would have found a different way to smuggle me in, you know. But uh, for me, I ended up going in there. I ended up getting a lot of the prisoners off drugs. I was stopping suicides. I redesigned the intake system to reduce violence between the wings. It's now being rolled out across prisons all over the world. Uh, I won a national award for the work that I did while I was in there. Uh, and every two weeks I wrote to my senior students showing them what I was doing and how, but the identity is what started with it. You know, even getting the prisoners to understand the difference between freedom and liberty. The only thing they'd taken was liberty. They'd reduced liberty. They hadn't taken freedom. That's a state of mind. I was freer in my little cell and some of the prison officers that were showing up to work every day that hated their job or were trapped in a relationship that was dysfunctional, they didn't have the tools or the courage to change. Now, so yeah, it doesn't matter what happens. It only matters how you deal with what happens. And right now we have the opportunity, people listening to this, the people that are your tribe, Lauren, I, I know them, they're, they're my tribe too. We're, we're the same kind of people that would invest our time into trying to learn how to deal with stuff like this. We have an opportunity to inspire the people around us. We have an opportunity to be leaders right now rather than people that are, are crumbling. Uh, and we have the opportunity to be able to demonstrate to other people that no matter what happens, spring always follows winter mm. yeah, and hold that line. You know, Peter, um, I love this conversation. Um, we're we're going to circle back and have another one. I want to ask you this because it's, it's pretty rare I can ask. Uh, I just say it this way. There's only a few people I feel like I could ask and you'll, you'll go deep with this one. There's a lot of people not on, not on the side of uncertainty and the comfort. They're actually scared of the responsibility because what you're speaking of is us taking the lead, being the models, um, you know, and I've always lived through that lens as well, is whoever has, you know, been blessed with more gifts and, and used them or what, however you want to frame that, it's our responsibility to help and serve the rest. So a lot of people though, like I have a lot of millionaires, you know, it's my, my kind of role in life, right, is to be the millionaire maker. There's a lot of people who stand like right at that line and say, yeah, but the responsibility that will come with it is too daunting. What do you say to those people that just don't want the responsibility? And there is an it's, enormous, I take it as an enormous responsibility and not well, in an way. I think it's, I think we're blessed to have it. If you break down the word responsibility, it breaks down into the ability to respond. It is an empowering frame. Most people hear it as burden. They hear it as pressure. They hear it as potential opportunities to demonstrate I'm not good enough. And that essentially triggers the primary fear we have, which is the fear we're not enough. And therefore, ultimately, we won't be loved, if you want to take it a little deeper than that. 
But when it comes to responsibility, the only responsibility you have is to walk your truth. And if that truth happens to be, yeah, tough love, if that truth happens to be demonstrating what failure is like, you can inspire others. If that truth happens to be going to prison so that you can help people, it's, we live, as I say, in a growth center. I, I, I call this place that we live earth school. Yeah. And you're going to have tests you're designed to, but it's a benevolent level of universe. And here's the thing. If you shirk on the responsibility that you have, you will consistently be tested. Yeah. And we see it in relationships. Yeah. Take money aside because the biggest challenge I find with money is most entrepreneurs link their self-worth to their net worth. And if you do that, you're always on the back foot because it'll never be enough because you're trying to use an external benchmark to cover up an internal insecurity. Mm. And that, that's just a hamster wheel to, to nowhere. There's no, there's no cheese at the end of that tunnel. You know, I've worked with people worth $700 million miserable because they're not a billionaire. Yeah, so yeah, it, if you had, and same with me, I mean, I, I thought, well, when I make my first million, I'll, I'll finally have made it, I'll be happy. And of course, I make my first million, I'm in my early 20s, and what happens? Well, of course, I'm not happy. Yeah, so I've got to make 2 million. That's the answer. Of course, I've got to make 2 million in case I lose the first. It never ends. But when it comes to responsibility, if you think that your job is to look after everybody else, I've got news for you. Yeah, that, that's a... That's a self-imposed God complex that, yeah, or parental yeah, influence that doesn't shake out. Some people have to hit their head on the sidewalk in order to learn how to tie their shoelaces. Yeah, you've got no right to take somebody else's lessons away. Your job is to try to be the best person you can by putting one foot in front of the other. And you cannot get poor enough to help poor people out of poverty. You can't get depressed enough to help depressed people find joy. You can't get sick enough to help a sick person find health. And when you realize what for me, what wealth is nothing more than the feeling of abundance, the perception of abundance triggered by gratitude. Poverty is nothing more than the feeling of scarcity triggered by fear or fear of loss. It's, it's a mindset. And when you realize that my responsibility, right, if I'm looking to become financially successful, isn't to prove to the world I can do it. It's to demonstrate that I swung the bat, win or lose. I gave it my all. And for somebody that may be having a kid for the first time, you inspire them yeah, through your example financially, through their example on embracing parenthood. It's not about saying, oh, now I'm responsible for having all this money to I've got to manage it. No, it's, it's, money's going to go up, it's going to go down. It's part of the game, right? If you define your self-worth with your net worth, you, you, you're in trouble. When you realize that you're not what you're worth, you're a vehicle for, for being able to add value, serve your gift, give it to the world. And if you look over your shoulder one day, you've been adding value and you see all that money, then wow, you get to play. But you don't, in the movie of your life, you yep. don't get to keep the props. Yep. And if you're starring in the Fast and the Furious, you get to drive some really cool cars, but you don't get to keep them at the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a hearse with a roof rack. Right? So what does the game become? The whole aspect of ownership is, is you know, it's just fundamentally flawed. So yes, go out and swing the, the bat. Be the best you you can be. Yeah, add value. The money will take care of itself, and then stand tall and proud of what you've done, regardless of where the end game is. Mm, brilliant, brilliantly said, Peter. Talk about your book, uh, The Inside Track. I, well, I the, you wrote it in prison. It, it was actually the eleven letters that I wrote to my senior students every two weeks from prison, because I my, my first letter said, "Hey guys, don't worry about me. I'm just on location for six months filming the prison scene in my movie." And I said, this is a great case study. And just because the teacher's not in class doesn't mean to say you can skip school, yeah. right? So they wrote in their questions and I hand wrote them back. And then I'm saying, listen, here's how I'm coping with it. And it was part journal, part diary, part how-to manual of the best stuff I've ever learned, having to demonstrate it in real life, not from stage, which I like. 
And it basically was all of the tools I was having to pull out of the bag to face the fact that I'd lost everything materialistically. My life had taken a sharp U-turn. I'd been put in a prison having never been accused of a crime. I was surrounded by you know, violence. How do you navigate that? What tools do you, do you pull out of the bag for that? And you know, I've spent 30 years in personal growth. I, I found a lot more crazies in Tony Robbins seminars than I did prison. I can tell you that. You know, yes. being able to navigate half the stuff, right? What's, uh, the so, one, what's the number one tool that you had to pull out of the bag? Like the one that, you know, that you just remember vividly. Uh, to be fair, you, the number one tool was rapport. How do you build rapport? Rapport can fix a lot of things because most conflict arises from under, not understanding how to build rapport and you projecting your own model of the world onto others or trying to have counterpoint somebody else's model of the world they're projecting onto you. So knowing how to understand and navigate that uh, and, and levels of consciousness, which I make practical rather than nebulous. Yeah. But it's, I, I came out, they said they'd learned more from the 11 letters than following me around the world on stage for the last you know, two years. I've got to publish. And I'm like, these are private letters. Some people pay me 50 grand a year to learn this stuff. They said, look, it'll help the public. I said, that's my hot button. We published, it went um, bestseller in two hours, Amazon number one in four hours, outsold four suppliers on the first day, sold to 40 countries on the first day. And if you look at any of the reviews on Amazon, Goodreads, Audible, Kindle, it's changed the life of pretty much everybody that's read it. I'm so blessed. I really am. I say that with humility. I really, it was never meant to be a book. It was just trying to you know, show people how I was a normal guy trying to just use some pretty cool skills that I'd picked up fortunately on my journey to try to navigate what was for most people a pretty traumatic experience. What an amazing story. Uh, look forward to uh, totally supporting and promoting. Those of you who want a copy of the Inside Track with, uh, with Peter Sage, you're going to go to asklaurel.com. So it's asklaurel.com. And in the show notes will be a link to a free copy of his book. So we appreciate you uh, giving that out and we look forward to, uh, I'm gonna have you back in a lot of other forums that I have uh, uh, in addition to this podcast. I appreciate you being here. Oh. Any last uh, comments, words, inspiration you wanna give to our listeners today? A lot of the time people are trying to fix their problems with chasing the techniques, the tools, what I call knowledge mastery. And the one thing that people tend to forget is that it's the person applying the knowledge, which is really the, the key issue. And so self-mastery is where it's at. If you master that first, which is, again, it's the mindset. Yeah, mindset plus skill set equals jet set. But so many people are chasing the skill set, thinking that'll solve their problems. Go re-listen to some of the stuff we've talked about here. Let it sink in. Because if it's intellectual, it'll, it'll just bounce off. Let it sink into a point of emotional. Sometimes people are going to hear it seven times before they hear it once. And if there's one little thing here, show up and smile. Go out. Know that life's got your back. Do the best you can. Nobody's judging you. They're all worried about whether you're judging them. All right. And I promise you, we'll get through this whole thing together. Yeah. Peter, I appreciate you being on uh, Laurel's Real Money Talks and look forward to uh, a deeper relationship with you. It's been uh, great to have you here. Those of you listening, again, go to asklaurel.com and uh, get a copy of Peter's uh, book the inside track. And if you have any questions or have a request to make it there inside of that, uh, that web form, and we'll get right back to you. Appreciate you listening today. We'll be back on another episode next week. Peter, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. Sarah. No, that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. Not normal to say as best I can in St. Lucia on a Caribbean internet connection, sat on a bed waiting to go to the airport. If, I, if I'm in my own, if I'm in my own den and uh, I've usually got a bit more energy <laughs> to handle that. I appreciate you being here and a safe travels back. And uh, I will be back in touch. I want to book you into a few other conversations like with my, what we call our big table, which is my high level students. I'd love to have mm -hmm. you broadcast in and take some questions from them.
No, absolutely. And again, on the whole, whole, whole series of money on the psychology aspect, happy to you know, go toe to toe with that. If uh, I, I can take the conversation anywhere you think will add the most value, I'd love to support your tribe anywhere I can. You're a legend. You're a star. It's been an honor to come on and say hi. Thank you. Appreciate you, Peter. Stay in touch. All right. Thanks. And thank, thanks, Steve, for setting everything up. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Definitely. All right, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.